with the third pick in the 2018 NFL Draft, the New York Jets select Sam Darnold, quarterback, USC. Back to throw is Darnold, looks left, has time, looks over the middle, fires one down the left sideline, towards the end zone, Robbie Anderson, he's got it, that's a Jet touchdown. Darnold takes the snap, looks right, throws right, up the middle, he's got the ball, pal, in stride at the 15, at the 10, he's into the end zone, that's a Jet touchdown. Sam Darnold hit him in stride. Winning a Super Bowl is everyone's goal. Everyone on the team wants to win a Super Bowl. Anything short of that is a failure. And whatever my role is, I'm going to start in that role to work us towards that Super Bowl. One, two, three. And the This is the Gangrene Nation Podcast with Michael Mann. Hello and welcome back to the Gangrene Nation Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Mania, and this is our, you can consider it our very first official off-season podcast here on the Gangrene Nation Podcast. Of course, last week we recapped the Jets' season finale loss to the Patriots in New England, but as we sit here right now, Wild Card Weekend has been completed in the NFL. Uh, it was a crazy wild, wild Card Weekend. Uh, a lot of low-scoring games, uh, the Colts, and the Chargers both pick up road wins in the AFC to move on to the divisional round. The Colts are going to be in Kansas City to take on the Chiefs. And the Chargers are going to be in New England to take on the Patriots. I, you know I'm going to be rooting for the Chargers hard. So hopefully you are as well. Nobody wants to see the Pats in another AFC championship game. We all know that. So that's the AFC picture. And in the NFC, the Eagles pick up a crazy win over the Bears in Chicago, 16-15. to Cody Parkey, the former Eagle. Misses the field goal to win the game at the end. A double doink off the left, upright, and then off the crossbar and out. So the Eagles are going to move on to play New Orleans. And the Cowboys take out the Seahawks 24-22 to in Dallas. So they're going to move on to Los Angeles to play the Rams at the Coliseum. So that was the wild card weekend, but we're here to talk about the Jets. And what's going on with the Jets right now is we got the coaching search heating up very quickly and a lot of rumors, a lot of names that the Jets are supposedly in on but haven't interviewed yet. They do have four confirmed interviews, uh, Adam Gase, Mike McCarthy, Chris Richard, and Eric Bieniemy. Four confirmed interviews for the Jets there. But there are also four other guys that the Jets have been rumored to be heavily in on and interested in. And that would be Cliff Kingsbury, Matt Rule, Jim Caldwell, and Todd Monken. So those are the eight guys that the Jets either have interviewed already or are rumored to be heavily interested in and looking to get an interview in soon. So I recently wrote an article on gangrenation.com ranking all eight of these potential Jets head coaching candidates from my least favorite to my favorite. So I want to skim over that and go over some of these candidates, ranking them from best to worst in terms of how much I'd want each one to be the next head coach of the Jets. So we'll start from the bottom with my least favorite of these eight candidates, that would be Adam Gase. So Gase was the head coach of the Dolphins from 2016 to 2018. He was hired after serving as the Bears offensive coordinator in 2015. Prior to that, he was the offensive coordinator for the Broncos in 2013 and 2014. And before that, he was with Denver as their quarterback coach and wide receiver coach from 2009 to 2012. So the reason Gase is my least favorite candidate is because aside from the fact that his resume on the field is disappointing, and let's talk about what the Dolphins accomplished under Gase. So the Dolphins were 27th in scoring, 27th in scoring defense, and 29th in point differential ahead of only the Jets, 49ers, and Browns under Gase's leadership over the past three seasons in which they put up a 23-25 and 25 regular season record 
Uh, the Dolphins picked up 10 wins in a wild card berth in Gase's first season. And then over the last couple of years, they picked up six wins in 2017 and seven wins this year. So 23 and 25 overall. But the Dolphins were 29th, as I mentioned, 29th in net points. They were a bottom 10 scoring team and scoring defense team. So, of course, it's hard to match up. And this is something we'll talk about a lot with all of these candidates. But it's, it's hard to match up team performance with the coach's impact on that product. Should Miami have been the league's worst team? Miles Gase lifted them up. Miami's record did far exceed their performance level. They were 18th in win percentage under Gase, under Gase versus that 29th rank in net points. So did Gase help them be better than they should have been? Or did Gase just do a poor job developing a football team? This is all speculation. And nobody who hasn't spent time with the team can properly evaluate Gase's impact or any other coach's impact on Miami's struggles under his leadership. And that goes for any coach. So what people on the outside can see is when a coach is openly mocked by his players following his exit. And this right here is the biggest reason why I would prefer the Jets to avoid Gase. Not only did his teams disappoint, but Gase clearly was not liked very much by his players. After he was fired, uh, a lot of Miami players made comments on it on social media and uh, at the end of the season as well, following Miami's blowout loss to Buffalo in Week 17. A lot of not-so-promising comments about Gase and their thoughts on him. So, uh, this is some, did you see Todd Bowles receive any vitriol like this from Jets players following his exit? You didn't. So, even though Gase's, in addition to Gase's on-field performance with the Dolphins not being that promising, not developing Tannehill, never having a great offense, he just didn't seem to get the respect of his players either. And if the, if he had a proven track record of success other than being a coach on a team that had Peyton Manning, who the closest thing to a coach on the field, if Gase had a proven track record of success beyond playing with or coaching Peyton, then maybe we could look past something like that and feel comfortable enough to take a shot on him. But he doesn't, though. Gase has gone 0 for 4 over the past four seasons in attempting to lead even a top half scoring offense, going back to his one season as the Bears OC in 2015. So to me, I take a hard pass on Adam Gates. So number seven, we have Jim Caldwell. The Jets have supposedly been interested in him. Uh, no confirmed interview yet or planned interview, but the Jets were rumored to be interested in him, so I included him on here. So Caldwell does join Gase as one of two names I would likely be pretty heavily opposed to, but in spite of other marks against Caldwell, I do give him an edge over Gase since he does have a track record of playoff success and uh, multiple double-digit win seasons in the NFL, but Caldwell's going to be 64 years old soon, so he'd be one of the oldest coaches in the league. He didn't coach at all in the 2018 season, so it's not a necessity for the Jets to pigeonhole themselves to the youngest, hottest offensive mind out there, but this is a franchise that's been stuck in the mud for years. They have a chance to take a swing for the fences, find somebody who could build a modern NFL offense around Sam Darnold's tantalizing ability and cheap rookie contract. So Caldwell went 62-50 and 50 in his seven seasons, coaching the Colts from 2009 to 2011 and the Lions from 2014 to 2017, making four playoff appearances and winning two playoff games. Both of those were in his first season with the Colts in 2009. One of those was an AFC championship win over the Jets, and that culminated in a Super Bowl loss against the Saints. And he spent two seasons in between those stints as Baltimore's offensive coordinator from 2012 to 2013. So the thing, I think a similarity between Caldwell and Gase here is that he did benefit a lot from Peyton Manning. Since 2011, Caldwell's first year without Peyton Manning, Caldwell's a 38 and 42 head coach who hasn't won a single playoff game, and he only led two top half, including his tenure in Baltimore as offensive coordinator. Since 2011, he's only led 
two top half scoring offenses out of the seven teams that he's coached. So I think with Caldwell, he does have a, a good track record of success winning, but I think that the Jets are probably best served going more modern, someone younger uh, than Caldwell, who in Detroit was pretty mediocre with a similar talent to Sam Darnold in Matthew Stafford. Uh, a quarterback, he did help improve a little bit, see some progression under him, but I do think the Jets would be best served looking looking for someone younger and with some more upside than Caldwell. So number six, we have Chris Richard, who's currently the defensive backs coach and a big-time contributor to the Cowboys' play calling defensively in Dallas. Uh, he spent 2010 to 2017 with Seattle. He was their defensive coordinator over the past over the final three seasons from 2015 to 2017, their defensive backs coach from 2011 to 2014, and he started out as an assistant DBs coach in 2010. He's only 39 years old. He played in the NFL from 2002 to 2005, mostly with the Seahawks. He did have a cup of coffee in San Francisco playing one game there, but with Richard, he's really respected. So he's gotten a lot of positive buzz, a lot of credit for what he's done, contributing to that Cowboys defense having a really good season this year that now has them in the Elite A of the NFL. So I'm of the belief that the Jets are best served putting an offensive mind at the spearhead of the coaching staff. And you look at the candidates that the Jets are in on, seven of the eight guys on this list are primarily offensive minds. So the Jets probably are uh, of that belief as well. But Richard does seem to bring a really great reputation to the table that might make him worthy of hiring in spite of his position as a defensive mind. Remember, the head coaching position, it carries a lot more non-football weight than any other position on the staff. Yes, he has an integral role in game planning each week, uh, input and in practice, play calling on game day. But in addition to all of that, he's got to be a great leader. He's got to be able to lead a very large group of men. So he is only 39 years old. So there's some a lot of upside with him to potentially really be here for a long time. And even though he is a defensive mind, it doesn't mean that he can't have a good vision on the offensive side of the ball and a good understanding of where the NFL is headed on that side of the field. So when Richard stepped into the D.C. role in 2015, he inherited a Seattle defense that was already tops in scoring defense before he took over, but Seahawks did rank first, third, and 13th in scoring defense over his three seasons there, and the Cowboys have been a top top five, top three defense all season with him as a very key part of that unit this year. So if the Jets see Richard as their man between all these candidates, it's likely because they see him as a really special coach who has a clear vision on both sides of the ball. So I could get... I could get behind it if the Jets got him a really good offensive coordinator to call that offense because offense is important and the Jets have to maximize Sam Darnold. They have to be able to play into this modern NFL, which offensive teams are becoming more successful than defensive teams. So if the I would prefer the Jets not go a defensive route, but if the Jets do see him as their guy, I'll take I'll believe in them that they really think he's a great coach, but they just have to get him a really high quality offensive staff. So Moving into the top five, at number five, we have perhaps the most discussed man on this list. That'd be Mike McCarthy. So in hiring Mike McCarthy, the Jets, they're hoping to get themselves the next Andy Reid. And I know that it's hard to compare McCarthy to Reid because McCarthy had Rodgers. Reid did not have a quarterback of that caliber. Uh, Reid was known as a really good offensive mind. In Philadelphia, Mike McCarthy hasn't really gotten that much credit for his play calling. Obviously, he does have Rodgers, so that helps him out a lot, but... McCarthy definitely hasn't gotten as great of a reputation as Reed had, but you look at the parallels between their between their careers, and they're really similar. The Eagles fired Reed after he missed the playoffs in back-to-back years for the first time in his 14-year tenure. The Eagles went eight and eight in his in 2011, his second to last season, before bottoming out at four and 12 in Reed's final season in 2012, and that remains as Reed's career low win total. Now that exit scenario bears a striking resemblance 
to McCarthy's current situation. McCarthy just got fired after missing the playoffs in back-to-back years for the first time in his 13-year tenure. Packers went 7-9 and last year. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers missed over half of that season. And McCarthy's fired midseason this year with the Packers at 4-7-1, and the fewest amount of wins McCarthy's put up in a season. So it's a really similar really similar timeline there. And Reed has gone on to find newfound success in Kansas City. The Chiefs have had a winning record and a top-half scoring offense. Every one of the six seasons, Reed has been at the helm there. He revived Alex Smith's career and turned him into a consistent quality quarterback and is now working magic with Patrick Mahomes. So the parallels are there, but can McCarthy do what Reed did? I'm really skeptical of that. Reed had, like I said, a reputation as a really good, innovative offensive mind throughout his time in Philadelphia. He never got to work with the quarterback, the caliber of the one McCarthy did in Aaron Rodgers. And it's talked about all the time, former Packers or current Packers talk about it, uh, that Aaron Rodgers is kind of in charge over there. And that's part of the reason why McCarthy eventually lost his job. He couldn't get along with Rodgers. And Rodgers has been, he's a tremendous improviser. You just see it on the field with his play, but it goes into play calling too. It's been talked about a lot that Rodgers calls his own number a lot of times. He overrules what McCarthy says, goes with his own plays, and he has success with them. So I don't think McCarthy is the worst option. I'd welcome his experience, his huge collection of victories. Uh, He did win 125 games, 125 and 77, and two record with Green Bay. That's a 618 win percentage, 10 and 8 in the playoffs and brought them to the NFC Championship in 2016, obviously won Super Bowl 45 in the 2010 season. So I would welcome that experience, huge collection of victories, and he was the head coach from the start with Rodgers. He was there for two seasons with Brett Favre, so the second two of Rodgers' three seasons on the bench. So he had to have played some part in Rodgers' development, but we don't know how much because Rodgers is obviously a special talent, so you'd have to think that with the ability that he's shown in the NFL, he would be able to succeed with just about any coach, but McCarthy should get at least a little bit of credit how much we don't know, but I just don't think McCarthy is a slam dunk top choice either. He has a lot of questions to answer. Can he build a good staff to help him adapt to the current NFL? Because coaches like Joe Philbin, Ben McAdoo, that's not inspiring if McCarthy's going to come in with guys like that under him for his offensive staff. So what can he do with the quarterback besides Rodgers? And were his recent struggles a fluke or a revelation of his reliance on one of the greatest quarterbacks ever? So Like I said, I don't think McCarthy is the worst option, but I also don't think he's a slam dunk top choice either. So we move into the top half here. Number four I have, and I'll be honest, this is the sexy choice here, Cliff Kingsbury. So he's the head coach at Texas Tech from 2013 until his firing following the 2018 season, and he was recently hired as a new offensive coordinator for Sam Darnold's alma mater, USC. And the reports on Kingsbury right now are interesting. So USC has reportedly blocked him from interviewing with NFL teams. And now the reports out of uh, pro football talk are that Kingsbury is looking to resign from that position to go pursue NFL positions. So considering those reports, Kingsbury must think that there is a position out there for him in the NFL if he's going to let that job go just to pursue opportunities in the pros. So there were also reports recently that New England could be in on him at offensive coordinator. So Kingsbury definitely must think if these reports are true, that he's going to find a job in the NFL, whether it's at offensive coordinator or head coach. So Kingsbury fits the cliche mold of the typical coach an NFL fan is looking for in the year 2019, young, offensive minded, quarterback friendly, exciting. Teams want to look for that next Sean McVay. It's not just the fans. And it's been talked about recently. Adam Schefter recently tweeted that uh, a source joked to him that teams are would rather hire the offensive quality control coach of the Rams than a high-quality defensive coordinator. And that's true. You look at this list, mostly offensive names for the Jets. So 
even though Kingsbury does seem like someone who would be more fit as an offensive coordinator, Texas Tech had a losing record under Kingsbury. So his his resume to become a head coach isn't all that promising because of the major struggles Texas Tech had on defense under him, the fact that they never won more than eight games in a season, and they struggled in conference play. So his success over a long period of time at Texas Tech isn't all that promising, but he does, like I said, fit the mold of what teams want, offensive-minded. He could help Sam Darnold out a lot, and Kingsbury once threw two passes in a game for the Jets in 2005, so he does have experience with the New York Jets. So with Kingsbury, I think this is a risky choice. i got to be honest. It is. To bring in a guy who hasn't succeeded on the defensive side of the ball is very much a one-sided coaching prospect on that offensive side. Uh, he doesn't have any coaching experience in the NFL, so bring him bring him in as a head coach. I think it'd be risky. I really think that it would. you got to be able to get him a high-quality defensive staff like like Sean McVay has in Los Angeles with, with Wade Phillips as his defensive coordinator. But I go back to something I said earlier regarding Gase. We don't know how much of an impact Kingsbury had on his 35-40 and 40 record at Texas Tech. Should Tech have been a 25-50 and 50 team under him based on their talent level with Kingsbury raising them up? Should they have been 45-30 and 30 with Kingsbury bringing him down? It's a hard thing to quantify, and a coach's impact on a team is really hard to figure out. Was Texas Tech's talent level in the same ballpark as the rest of the conference? Did they recruit well? Did the players do their part in executing what the coaches were trying to instill? So in every single sport, in almost every scenario, it's important to try and evaluate beyond win-loss record. It's the most important factor, yes. After all, every single breath, every single move a coach or player takes is made with the goal of improving that win-loss record. But while that's true, you also can't make assumptions based on it alone. There are countless factors that go into producing that number. We can't just assume Kingsbury having a losing record in college makes him a bad coach. But with that said, it would be risky. Kingsbury's very one-sided, no NFL experience, didn't win very much at Texas Tech, and a lot of questions with how he ran things there. So, But I do think that there's a lot of upside here. It'd be a swing for the fences. It really would be. Uh, he has potential in offense. He's a really well-respected offensive mind, plays into where the NFL is trending. But there are a lot of question marks with whether he could jump straight from a losing record in college to being a good head coach in the NFL. It's a legit question, but it is a very high upside choice with Kingsbury. So we'll see how things shake out with him if he becomes available, if the Jets' interest in him turns into an interview. So we'll see with Kingsbury. So we move into the top three. Number three of Eric Bieniemy, the current offensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs. He spent the previous five seasons as the running backs coach of the Chiefs. He's the offensive coordinator at the University of Colorado for two seasons and was the running back coach for the Vikings from 2006 to 2010 throughout the prime of Adrian Peterson's career. So the big question mark with Enemy is that he doesn't call plays on game day. That job goes to Andy Reid, of course, but while that is a bit concerning, I don't think it should take away from the fact that Enemy is, he's the offensive coordinator behind one of the greatest offenses in the history of the NFL. The Chiefs scored 565 points this season, third most ever by a team in a single regular season behind only the 2007 Patriots and the 2013 Broncos. And those teams were led by veteran QBs who already had Super Bowl rings on their fingers. This year's Chiefs were led by a quarterback in Pat Mahomes on his first run as an every week starter in the NFL. So you have to give a lot of credit to the coaching staff for their ability to input this stuff on game day and help a guy like Mahomes in his first season as a starter. And also a guy making, uh, speaking of Mahomes, was coached by Cliff Kingsbury at Texas Tech, a guy making a big transition from the Big 12 to the NFL. It's a huge difference in the way the Big 12 runs an offense compared to the NFL. While that gap is closing, uh, but a lot of credit to Bienemy for the way the Chiefs have performed this season. He does 
get a lot of credit in NFL circles for the way uh, he's contributed to that unit this season. So perhaps the biggest plus with Bieniemy is the rapidly ascending stock of the Andy Reid coaching tree. The last two Chiefs offensive coordinators that preceded Bieniemy, they played against each other in the wild card game this past weekend. Matt Nagy of the Bears and Doug Peterson of the Eagles, who you might have heard Peterson won a Super Bowl last year with the Eagles. So Bieniemy is clearly one of the most respected names on this list. He's been working his way up in the NFL for a long time, and he's having a lot of success in his first season as an NFL coordinator. And recent history suggests that the position he is in yields a strong chance of success for him in the future. So I do think this would be a really good hire with Bieniemy. So into the top two, number two, I have Todd Monken, who was the offensive coordinator for the Buccaneers over the last three seasons since 2016. And prior to that, he's a head coach at Southern Mississippi for three years from 2013 to 2015. So what Monken did at Southern Mississippi has gotten a lot of respect in league circles. Uh, he received a ton of acclaim for turning that program around. He inherited a team that was 0-12 the season before he came in. He won only one game in his first season there, but improved the team each year. Won three games in his second season, and he finally broke through with nine wins in his third season. So he got a ton of credit for what he did turning that program around, and he's quietly had the Buccaneers producing quite well offensively in spite of their lackluster record. After ranking only 18th in scoring offense over his first two seasons at the helm, Monken brought Tampa Bay up to 12th this season, and I believe number one or number three in total yards this season uh, with Jameis Winston and Ryan Fitzpatrick. So, and Fitzpatrick, by the way, had perhaps his best statistical season this year. Uh, obviously, he only played about half the season with Jameis Winston taking the other half. But you look at the leaderboards, and Fitzpatrick is near the top of the board in yards per attempt, passer rating, touchdown rate, uh, all these numbers under Monken this year. And he was pretty decent last year as well after a terrible season for the Jets in 2016. So Monken has done a lot with a little over there in Tampa Bay. And the Buccaneers have been a top-half passing offense each year under Monken. They are ninth in passing DVOA this year, ninth last year, and 12th in 2016. I really like this choice. Monken brings a unique blend of untapped potential and experience. He's been a head coach before at the college ranks. He's been calling plays in the NFL for the past three years with the Bucs and having a lot of success doing it. So while he's never been a head coach in the NFL and is only 52, not too old, he's been coaching for a very, very long time, uh, since the age of 23, 1989. Uh, he's been coaching at least at the college level, so he's got a ton of experience, but there's some untapped potential here too with a guy who hasn't been a head coach yet in the NFL. So having experience in both worlds, in college and the NFL, uh, Monken was the wide receivers coach for the Jaguars for four years from 2007 to 2010, but other than his Buccaneers sin and that Jaguar sin. He's been in college uh, every other year since 1989. So he does have extensive experience in the college game in the NFL. And I think that's really valuable uh, in today's NFL, the leagues continuing to adopt more college philosophies that it's that its players are entering the league having experience with. So NFL and the college are growing closer together. And Monken does have a lot of experience in both college and the NFL. At the same time, there's a lot of untapped potential with the guy who we haven't seen be a head coach in the NFL yet and has had a lot of success adapting the Buccaneers to the modern NFL in recent years. So I'm a huge fan of Monken's resume. There isn't much about him that gives me pause, and I'd be a really big fan of bringing him in. So to wrap this up, at number one, we have Matt Rule, who's currently the head coach of the Baylor Bears. He's a New York City native who played linebacker at Penn State from 1994 to 97. Uh, as I said, just completed his second season as the head coach at Baylor, and he spent the previous four seasons as the head coach at Temple. And he's got an impressive distinction of turning around not one but two college programs. He inherited a Temple team that won only four games a season before and ultimately did not have a very storied history of football success. After winning 
Only two games in his first season at Temple in 2013. Rule led the Owls back to 500 with six wins the following season. And then he did the unthinkable, and he led Temple to 10 wins, not once, but twice in his final two seasons at the helm in 2015 and 2016. And Temple only won 10 games in a season, one time in their history before Rule came in. Over their entire history, way back in 1979, was the only time they did it. And the Owls did win the conference championship in Rule's final season in 2016 for their first conference title since 1967. So following what he did at Temple in Philadelphia, Rule took he took the challenge of turning around a Baylor program mired by scandal troubles. Uh, there were sexual assault cases that brought up that were brought up against Baylor players in 2015. So the Bears took a significant hit to their 2016-2017 recruiting classes. Uh, many previously committed players opted to transfer away from Baylor, leaving the team with a dearth of talent going forward that Rule inherited. So in Rule's first season, Baylor only won one game in 2017 with that with their struggles to put a talented team on the field. But this year, he really surprisingly led Baylor back to a 7-6 record, and he gained a huge amount of respect at both the college and NFL ranks for what he did this year. Obviously, 7-6 isn't that impressive, and a lot of people who don't follow the college game too much will scoff at that and wonder how a 7-6 coach could come up. 7-6 college coach could come up to the NFL and succeed, but it was really respected what he did this year. Remember, Baylor lost a lot of commits due to their scandal troubles. It wasn't a really talented team, but Baylor really overachieved under Rule's leadership. And in addition to the success he's enjoyed in his previous two head coaching stints, Rule brings experience as a position coach at a variety of positions on both sides of the ball in college and the NFL as a position coach with linebackers, defensive line, offensive line, special teams, quarterbacks, sometimes as Temple's offensive coordinator. And he even has some NFL experience. He was the assistant offensive line coach for the Giants in 2012. And this was interesting. In that 2012 season, the Giants offensive line ranked third in adjusted line yards per carry, which is rushing yards adjusted for the offensive line's responsibility for those yards, second and lowest sack rate allowed, and they were ranked 11th by Pro Football Focus. The season before Rule came in, the Giants were 31st, and the season after Rule left, they were ranked 28th. So I don't. it's hard to quantify, like I said, how much impact Rule had on that, but it was pretty interesting that the Giants offensive line uh, directly coinciding with Rule's presence there, performed well while he was there, and didn't perform well before he was there and after he left. So Rule's a really respected coach. You look at all these candidates and you look at uh, quotes about him from guys in media, college, fellow college coaches, uh, NFL names. He is probably the most respected guy on this list. And you listen to him talk in interviews. He's just a really impressive. He seems like a really legit leader who, by all accounts, is a tremendous leader uh, from players and people who know him. And the type of coach with the unique ability to turn around a fledgling football program, which to me sounds like something that the New York Jets really need. So there you have it. Uh, those are the eight names that the Jets are reportedly in on at head coach. Uh, like I said, they've only interviewed uh, McCarthy, Gase, Bienemy, and Richard as of right now. Uh, they're trying to get Todd Monken in for an interview this Tuesday. They're looking to get Matt Rule in for an interview. Uh, nothing on Jim Caldwell yet in terms of an interview. The Jets supposedly were interested in him, but uh, I haven't seen anything regarding an interview with Caldwell yet. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury, we're still seeing to see how things shake out with him. Reportedly, he's trying uh, to break out of his USC job to pursue NFL opportunities. But as of right now, USC has blocked him from, from interviewing in the NFL. So we'll see how that shakes out. But uh, I thought the voting results were interesting too. I did a poll on Gangry Nation about which of these candidates would be the ideal choice. And the readers voted. The number one vote was Mike McCarthy, 33%. Number two was Matt Rule, 24%. Number three, Monken, 17%. 
Biennemi, 12%. He is number four. Kingsbury with 10% at number five. And then the three guys at the bottom of my list were also the bottom of the list for the voters. 2% for Gase, 2% for Richard, and 1% for Caldwell. So anyway, it, it, this head coaching season is a lot of fun. It's going to be interesting to see who the Jets go with. This is an extremely essential hire. The Jets have a very special rookie quarterback on a rookie contract that they're trying to build around right now, trying to maximize, uh, get him to reach his potential while they maximize his cheap rookie deal, which is what the NFL is becoming, building around those rookie deals as we see the Bears, the Rams, the Eagles, all these teams doing that, and the Chiefs now as well. So this is a key hire for the Jets, but this head coaching season has been wild off the bat since the Jets fired Todd Bowles right after the end of the last game. So this search has been a lot of fun so far. It's going to be interesting to see where the Jets go. So thanks to Tom for listening in, and I'll be back again next week. We'll see if the Jets have a head coach then. Uh, I bet not. I think that it takes uh, probably two weeks from now, about then, is when we'd see a hire made. But I'll be back again next week. Thanks a ton for listening in. And definitely keep an eye on this coaching search. It's been a ton of fun so far. This has been the Gangrene Nation Podcast. Make sure to follow Michael on Twitter at Michael underscore Daniel. And keep up with everything Jets at gangrenation.com. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.